Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. I invite each of you to open to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter six, beginning at verse eighteen. First Corinthians chapter six, beginning at verse eighteen. I will be reading from the Amplified Bible. First Corinthians chapter six, beginning at verse eighteen. And before we read from God's holy word, let us pray. Our Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, giving thanks unto you that by the lifeblood of Jesus we have access to your most holy presence. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the ministry of your Spirit. And we activate now the ministry of the Holy Ghost within us, for you said in your word that he would guide us into all the truth. And we know that the carnal mind cannot understand the things of the Spirit of God, for the Spirit is discerned. And so, Holy Spirit of God, we activate your ministry among us and within us. And we give you the liberty to move upon our hearts with revelation knowledge. And we receive of that knowledge. And Expect it to flow within our innermost being to cause our minds be, to be renewed to what your word has to say. And Father, I thank you for causing my lips to be as the tongue of a penny ready writer. And I thank you, dear Father God, that revelation knowledge shall flow forth and sow seeds of life that will take root and produce fruit in the lives of everyone who has ears to hear. And Father, now I believe that each and every one of us set ourselves to receive from your holy word. And I believe that hearts are receptive, I believe that ears are attentive, and I believe that minds are open as we now channel ourselves to receive from your precious holy word in Jesus' name, amen. Verse 18 says, to shun immorality and all sexual looseness. Flee from impurity in thought, word, and deed. Any other sin which a man commits is one outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is the temple, the very sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who lives within you, whom you have received as a gift from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, purchased with a preciousness, and paid for, made his own. So then honor God and bring glory to Him in your body. Everyone say with me, My body is the temple of the living God, who is holy. Therefore I am to be holy. You see, the Father wants His temple to be made pure, to be clean, to be holy, free from defilement and anything that would contaminate. Why? Because He wants to live within us. Because He wants to walk within us. To walk means to pursue a certain course of action in our lives. He wants to develop His character within our lives so that we act like He acts. So that we live the Jesus lived when He walked upon the earth. He wants to be a father to us and take a father's place to, in our lives. But you see, in order to do this, he says, my temple, the temple of your body has got to be clean. It's got to be pure. It's got to be holy. And he says to cleanse yourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit and perfect holiness in the fear of God so this can take place. Well, we're going to be very direct this morning. We're going to continue speaking about what we talked about last week, and that is fleeing sexual immorality and looseness so that we can keep our bodies, our, which is the temple of God, pure and holy and undefiled so that He can take His place within us as a Father and live within us and pursue a certain course of action in our lives. So many are not allowing Him to, to live His big life in them and they have no direction in their lives because they've not as of yet admonished this commandment. Flee fornication. To run from it as in terror. Shun sexual immorality because it defiles the temple of the living God, which temple ye are. Now, this does not just include 
us as individuals. It also includes us as a collective body, as a corporate body. For we find out in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that if we allow sexual immorality to take place in a local body, it can contaminate the entire body because you allow unclean spirits to take up residency among you and within you. And consequently, many others yield themselves to unclean spirits and fall victim to sexual immorality, adultery and fornication and all other sorts of, of evil. Well, just let me reiterate a few points that we made from uh, last week's message and then we're going to continue from that point and go on a little bit further. And let's, for, for those of you who were not here, you just could write these things down if you like. If not, just take them to heart and I would make note of them, put them in your Bible somewhere. But first of all, number one, we said that in creation, God placed within the man and the woman a sex drive. And He gave them a commandment saying, be fruitful and multiply and replenish this earth. And after He had finished His act of creation, He stood back and looked and said, everything's very good. Consequently, we've determined the fact that the sex drive that he placed within a man and a woman is good, it is holy, and it is wholesome. We also see from these scriptures that it's also specifically purposed for pleasure, for procreation, and for picture. Pleasure that is only supposed to be experienced within the relationship of marriage where the two become one. For this cause shall a man leave and cleave, and they too shall become one. For procreation, something that we've never really, really understood in depth, that we have a part to play in creation, in bringing forth God's people into the world. What an awesome responsibility we have. But we can see that the purpose of the sex drive is also for procreation. And then finally, the picture. In the book of Ephesians, we'll have to understand it. It's a mystery. But nevertheless, he says the union between a man and his wife depicts the union between Christ and the church. And every time anyone commits adultery, it's just like Christ turning his back on the church. And you can see that Jesus is not about to do that. And this is why adultery, as far as God is concerned, is wrong in his sight. The union that we have with Christ is likened like under the union that there is between a man and his wife and vice versa. And when that's violated, it's speaking out to us that, you know, Jesus is just going to have an affair with somebody else and leave the church, look for another people. And that's wrong. Next, we said that from the fall, through lust, man was unable to control and properly use the sex drive that was placed within him in creation. Consequently, that which was healthy and wholesome and holy through lust became unwholesome, unholy, unhealthy, and uncontrolled. Well... Through lack of self-control, many have entered into sins, sexual sins that according to God's word are wrong and they've opened up the door to all sorts of evils, not only into their individual lives but also into the lives of their family, of the church people and it goes as far as even a nation. And we see that where any nation allows sexual immorality to rise, the power of that nation begins to decline and that nation can and will be destroyed. Now, we also stated the fact that an uncontrolled sex drive leads to spiritual decay. And that's talking about in the individual life, the spirit, the soul, and the body of a person can be destroyed if a person does not have the ability to control the sex drive that God placed within him. So, don't forget this. If you're unable to control the sex drive, then spiritual decay will begin to take place 
within the spirit that will bring defilement not only to the spirit but destruction also to the soul. And there is a close relation between insanity and sexual immorality. You look throughout the Bible and you'll see where people were unclean. They were also lunatics. Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, this, this fellow had supernatural strength. It didn't come from God. It came from satanic forces and influences. And Jesus cast out of him an unclean spirit that drove him out of his mind, caused him to run through the fields naked. And there's a close relation here. So not only does it bring destruction to the spirit of a man, it destroys the mind of a man and eventually will destroy the body of a man. Our examples that we used last week, David... Solomon and Samson, each one a picture of spiritual, intellectual, and physical strength because of their inability to control the sex drive that God placed within them, calamity and destruction and tragedy came to each and every one of their lives. And they suffered many evils that they could have avoided in their lives had they been able to control the sex drive that God placed within them. We went on to say that fornication violates and humiliates a woman. It destroys her integrity and it cheapens her self-worth according to God's holy word. And we gave you scripture for that. We went on to say that adultery is categorized with robbery and with murder. And what we call the Ten Commandments, one was thou shalt not steal or commit robbery. The next was thou shalt not commit adultery. And the next was thou shalt not kill. And right in the middle we see we have thou shalt not commit adultery because adultery both steals and it also kills. And we might as well just take it to its full length and say that it also destroys. And what's the devil come to do? But to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And that's exactly what adultery does. We gave scripture in the book of Hebrews that says that adulterers and fornicators will be judged and will be punished of the Lord. We stated also that the only proper use of sex is in marriage and a healthy relationship in marriage will preserve that marriage. An unhealthy sexual relationship in a marriage will cause a marriage to be destroyed or disintegrate. And that has to be understood. And, and uh, once again, we're not going to show any partiality here, but I believe that each person, both husband and wife, must take heed to what God has said concerning sexual activity within the marital relationship. The Bible says that the marriage bed is undefiled. And we're going to see why here as we go on. But we don't want to be guilty of defrauding our mate because if we do, we are responsible and God holds us accountable for the deterioration of a marital relationship. So both husbands and wives take heed to what the Word of God says. And in light of all this, he said, if in fasting and prayer people still can be tempted to violate the law of God and commit sexual immorality, can you imagine a person trying to control this drive that God has placed within him for, uh, you know, like I said last week, for, for silly reasons such as she has a headache or he's working too much. And like I said, we can go on there, but we'll just, we'll just skip right over that. Now, we also said that there are laws against homosexuality. There are laws against bestiality. There are laws written in God's Word against incest. And not only are there laws written against all these wrong uses of sex, but the Bible says there are also punishment. Punishments that are to be imposed upon people who are offenders of the laws of God. And then we said also, and this will bring us up, that marriage is the only place where the sex drive is to be properly satisfied and gratified. Sex is only intended in marriage. I'm going to say that again as loud as I can. Sex and its proper use is only in the marital relationship. Young people out there, you're not married yet. 
You have that same sex drive within you because you're a human being and God placed it in there. You're young, immature, and all you know that you have that sex drive placed within you. But I want you to know this morning that any use of it is wrong outside of the relationship of marriage. And consequently, as a young person, you need to understand what the Word of God says concerning the sex drive so that you can avoid fornication or you can avoid sexual immorality that will lead to your spiritual decay, that will lead to destruction of your mind, and if you allow it, will lead to destruction of your physical body. And I'm just going to say it all the way. It'll take you straight to hell. Did I make myself clear? I said, your inability to control the sex drive in your life will take you straight to hell where people will suffer eternal damnation. Now let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verses 8 and 9 and let's read from God's holy word and continue along these lines so that we can gain insight and understanding concerning what God has to say about fleeing sexual immorality. Now in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 8 and, and 9 I want to read to you once again from the Amplified Bible and what we want to do is explain why we should flee sexual immorality. Why every person... Now let's, let's clarify something before we get into this. For, when I first got saved I used to hear people talk about well that's adultery and that's fornication as if there's a real big difference between what's adultery and what's fornication. He didn't mean, he didn't mean adultery. He meant fornication there. And if you're married that's adultery. If you're not it's fornication. Let's just use another word, another term. Sexual immorality is sexual immorality whether you're married or single. And when you see the word fornication or, or, or adultery, just replace it with sexual immorality and all your questions will be answered. It means any wrong or improper use of the sex drive that goes against the laws of God. And if God said don't do this, then don't do it. And any violation of that is sexual immorality. Whether you're married or whether you're single, it makes no difference. Now, either say amen or say oh me or oh my. Amen. Praise God. That's what I wanted to hear. In how to shun and how to flee sexual immorality. Why we should flee sexual immorality. First look at the why. In verse 8 and verse 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we must not gratify, I'm reading from the Amplified Bible, evil desire and indulge in immorality as some of them did and 23,000 suddenly fell dead in a single day. We should not tempt the Lord, try His patience, become a trial to Him, critically appraise Him and exploit His goodness as some of them did and were killed by poisonous serpents. Now, first of all, and as far as I'm concerned, foremost, the number one reason why we should flee sexual immorality and all looseness is because God said to. Is that sufficient for you? I mean, if that, if that was the only reason that I can give you this morning, would that satisfy you? That God said to? I mean, that would be sufficient for me. If God said to flee all looseness and sexual immorality, that would be enough right there. I'd say, okay, if that's what you said, that stands. But now, that's the main reason why. But look at another reason as to why we should flee. Because God says to do things in written law, not because He wants to be mean, but because He wants us to be protected. Because He loves us. It's for our own good and benefit that He establishes these laws. See, we have no understanding of spiritual things. Actually, if you think about it, how much do we understand about human life itself and the laws that govern it? Since He created us, He put the sex drive within us, He is the one who understands how it should be controlled and used, wouldn't you say? Amen. But look at another reason why we should shun this. We're not to gratify the evil desires and indulge in immorality as some of them did because 23,000 died in one day. They fell over dead in one day. Now, I know there are those that will tell you, well, God did this. And let me just explain something here. Let's be biblical and let's, let's be New Testament about these things. The Bible says here that they were destroyed of who? The destroyer. What's the thief come to do? 
The Bible says they were destroyed of the poisonous, the poisonous venom of the serpents. It doesn't say that God killed them. It says they were destroyed of the destroyer. That means their flesh was brought to destruction. Doesn't it mean that? Their flesh was brought to what? Destruction. They were destroyed of the destroyer. Now, I just want to show you this here in Scripture so we can clarify this. Look at the fifth chapter of 1 Corinthians also. And, and, and let's look at a person who was actually involved in sexual immorality and let's find out who the destroyer really is. We hear all this talk today that, you know, that God is doing this, God is doing that, but let's explain it properly so that we don't confuse God with the devil. For too long the church has confused God with the devil. They make God to be the destroyer and, and the devil to be someone doing good things to people. And that's ridiculous. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 1 it says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. And that's what was taking place in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 when Paul was, was referring to what took place in the wilderness, that there was sexual immorality occurring among the Hebrew people. Okay? And this sort of impurity that is condemned and doesn't even occur among the heathen that a man should have his own father's wife committing incest. You're proud and arrogant? He goes on talks about his attitude towards it. And look at verse 5. You are to deliver this man over to God. To who? Everybody say it out loud. To who? You mean it doesn't say turn him over to God? Who's it said to turn him over to? For what purpose? Who destroys the flesh? Those serpents were destroyed. I mean, those people were destroyed of the, of the destroyer. Who destroys the flesh? Who's the serpent the type of? I mean, it doesn't take a whole lot of sense to put two and two together. The Bible says that, yes, God turned them over to the serpent for the purpose of destroying the flesh. But I don't want you to, I don't want to stop there. I want to show you the mercy of God. Why did he turn them over to Satan to destroy the flesh? Because the evil desires were within the flesh that they were not controlling. They were not controlling the evil desires of their flesh. They weren't controlling the sex drive within them. They were using it improperly, immorally, according to the law of God. So God couldn't reach them through their thick skulls to show them by educating them, this is wrong for you to do. Just like our people of today, young people of today. You can't sometimes educate them by just teaching them and telling them. Sometimes they've got to wait till something terrible happens to them, then find out it's wrong for you to misuse your sex drive that God gave you. And that's exactly what happened to them back then. So they were turned over to Satan for what purpose? For the destruction of their what? Why? The flesh. Because that's where the desire is at. You know, sexual activity is not a desire of the Spirit. Did you know that? How do you know? Because it took long, Adam a long time to get around to Eve in the beginning. <laughs> Say amen. He's more spiritually inclined. Took him quite a while, you know, to get his education. Well, we'll bypass that one too. It's a desire of the flesh. And so since God loved the eternal spirit of a man, a spirit that will never cease to exist, a spirit that will find its home in heaven or in hell, God says, I'd rather turn you over to Satan so that your flesh will absolutely, positively be destroyed. I'd rather see you die physically and on a bed of repentance, a deathbed of repentance, I'll still accept you. Read the rest of the Scripture. What does it say? You are to deliver this man over to Satan for physical discipline to destroy the carnal lust which prompted him to incest that his spirit may yet be saved in the day of the Lord. Can I go one step further? Would to God... Would to God that every person that's ever died of AIDS disease on their deathbed accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. Would to God. You know why? Because hell is not a good place to be in. It is eternal. It's final. Yes, I know they're wrong. 
Yes, I know it's wrong, but God is merciful unto the end. But hell is so bad, beloved, that if... Now, I'm not saying they did. I'm saying if they truly would have. You see what happens when you can't use your body to commit sexual immorality anymore. You know what you do? You lie there and you think about eternity. Those impulses are gone. You know, some people don't even want to eat anymore, let alone be engaged in sexual immorality. And so they lie there on their deathbed and all they do is think about eternity. Oh, it's a sad thing that people can't be educated without being turned over to the devil. I said, it's a, young people, hear me. It's a sad thing that people can't be educated without being turned over to the devil waiting till it's too late. Because, you see, they'll be saved if they repent. But they're out of this life. They'll go off to glory and thank God. But God could have done so much with that person's life, so much more for His honor and glory. Who they turned over to? Satan. For what purpose? Destruction of what? Of the flesh. So that what could be saved in the day of our Lord? Who's the destroyer? Sure, God releases His hand. He has to. But I want you to get this clear. It's, they're turned over to Satan so that he can destroy the flesh. Believe me, beloved, you don't want to find out what that's all about. You'd rather walk the straight and narrow and forget about that kind of, God, that kind of discipline. Be reachable. Be teachable. Allow him to get to you before the devil and sickness and disease destroy you. Okay, so number one, we see here, here's a reason why, because God said it. Number two, because of the consequences of sexual immorality. Number one was because God said it. Why should we flee sexual immorality? Because God said it. Number two, because of the consequences of sexual immorality. Now look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 through 9, and... It's not enough just to say why. I mean, we could talk about why forever, but I think that's clear enough to let us know why we should flee sexual immorality. As a matter of fact, when you, as you find that, I want to read some, some things to you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, just find your place there in verse 1. And I want you to listen to a report. Young people in particular, I want your ears. I want your attention this morning. You know, I have, I, you know I, I've, been, I've worked with teenagers and I've worked with young people before and, and just mentally, emotionally speaking, you know, I was a teenager, believe it or not. <laughs> I've come to realize that young people, you know, have a hard time growing up and maturing in their thinking faculties. And they kind of think that the best teacher is experience. Well, I want you to know something. If, if, if that's your best experience, you're going to wait to find out that you should flee sexual immorality and, and looseness in, in your sexual life and inability to control your sex drive. If you're going to wait till experience, all you've got to do is wait one time to experience AIDS in your body and then you'll learn a lesson. But you won't be around very long to talk about it. And I don't say that to put just fear of AIDS in you. Beloved, I want to put the fear of God within people. I want to put the fear of God within our youth. I want you to hear something. I want you to be informed before you get out there and start sowing your wild oats and getting out there and, and fooling around with things that God intended to be holy and pure. I want you to listen to some of these reports concerning AIDS disease. At first, AIDS seemed an affliction of drug addicts and especially of homosexuals, a gay disease, no longer. The numbers as yet are small, but AIDS is a growing threat to the heterosexual population. Straight men and women in some cases, in some cases do not want to believe it. But barring the development of a vaccine, swingers of all persuasions may sooner or later be faced with the reality of a new era of sexual caution and restraint. More disturbing is the potential scope of the disease based on the rate of transmission and the varying incubation period which some health authorities think 
may last as long as 10 years. More than 1 million Americans are thought to be infected with the virus and more than 90% of them do not even know it. The fear of the deadly plague seemed to die out after the control of polio in the early 60s. But the word has been applied to AIDS. In Africa, it is a heterosexual disease rapidly infecting the heart of the continent. Around the United States, health officials are calling for enormous increases in AIDS testing for pregnant women and even couples applying for marriage licenses. More than any measures, however, health officials at every level are pleading for what is very nearly a social revolution, says United States Health and Human Services Secretary Otis Bowen. I can't emphasize too strongly the necessity of changing lifestyles. Some of our youth are being reached, but not by the preachers. I mean, even medical science, even those who, who understand these things are, are crying out, even to the youth of today, and saying, you don't know what you're getting yourself involved in. Now, their methods and their means of protecting yourself from this ungodly disease, as far as I'm concerned, are absolutely wrong and erroneous and diametrically opposed to the, to the laws of God. But I want you to continue listening, and we're going to explain to you God's way of protecting yourself from AIDS disease and any other kind of disease that's associated with sexual immorality. Listen. Public bewilderment at the disease is taken many forms. Conservative leaders see it as a summons to chastity or monogamy. Many people dealing with the absolute death sentence that AIDS imposes consider it a vague sort of retribution, an Old Testament-style revenge. Says a Los Angeles entertainment writer, sexual disease has been around for thousands of years. It reappears when monogamy breaks down. AIDS pushes monogamy right back up there on the priority list. In other words, let every man have one wife. An Atlanta executive concludes, We are paying for our sins of the 60s when one night stands and sex without commitment used to be chic. People that don't even know God saying we're, we're, we're reaping the results of our sins and sexual looseness of the 60s. People on the outside that, and many who don't even realize or know, just, just equating it back to what happened in the Old Testament days. Let's read on. There is reason for women to be alarmed. Chris, a 37-year-old attractive divorcee from Pasadena, California, and the mother of a teenage daughter, in 1983, she embraced on a sexually indiscriminate period of her life during which she had about 15 sexual partners. I never gave a thought to AIDS, recalls Chris. I didn't even know there was a threat. After two frustrating years of incorrect diagnosis, the disease was finally identified, first as AIDS-related complex, then as AIDS. She does not know who gave her AIDS or whom she might have infected. I am sure I have passed on the virus. I can't get in touch with him. If I could, I don't know whether to tell him and let him spend the rest of his life worrying or not tell him and let him go around and spread it further. Despite the fanfare, most educators think it will take more than education to change sexual amores. We're a generation away from accepting condoms, says Mary Sherman, a public health educator at Berkeley. Dr. Richard Keeling, chairman of the American College Health Association Task Force on AIDS, admits that some people cannot be reached through education. There is a despairing theory in health education that says until there is some horrible baseline number of people who have died, the disease doesn't become personal enough to the rest of the community for it to take fundamental changes in behavior seriously. It may have to hit home. Since they're just experiencing their sexual prime and want to act on it, young people push AIDS into their subconscious, says Greg Reynolds, a practicing bisexual in Miami. But as more people are getting sick and dying of AIDS, it starts hitting their friends. It is much more effective than reading about it in the media. You think, I knew him, I could be next. What a way to find out. When Health Secretary Bowen called for a change in lifestyle, Health Secretary calling for a change in lifestyle. Oh, beloved, the church, the body of Christ, the ministry gifts should be calling for a change of lifestyle, crying out for a change of lifestyle among the people of God. I, it's beyond me to even think that so many are involved in sexual immorality in the day in which we live with all the revelation knowledge that we have. But, beloved, it goes on every day in the body of Christ. Listen. Throughout history, even in straight-laced cultures or eras of inhibition, sex is always the genie that cannot be contained in the bottle. 
its heedless imperatives mostly seize the young, the least disciplined, least knowledgeable, and least likely segment of society to take any thought for the moral and, and have, in, have any intimations of their own mortality. And there are those in any society who are forever young or venturesome or lonely or simply careless. To pause on the downhill slope of passion, to call time out from rapture and contemplate that this single act could be fatal is only marginally more imaginable than the pause that too seldom occurs to consider whether this single act will create an unwanted life. Coping with the specter of AIDS is particularly difficult for the heirs of the American sexual revolution, probably smaller in numbers than advertised, but nonetheless vehement in the assertion of a freer, more open set of mores for sexual conduct. Should AIDS spread in the most pessimistic proportions projected, there may finally sound a, a, sound a general alert resulting in an increase in monogamy, in abstinence, in widespread acceptance of tough new rules of the game. But unless and until that point comes, the casualties may needlessly mount. Now, I don't want to use this as that, but it's, we, 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 let's just take the facts. But here's another reason why people should shun immorality. People should flee fornication. Run from it as in tear. Why? Because of all this, because of the reports, because people are dying. Yes, that's a reason, but beloved, it's not God's reason. Number one is because God said to flee fornication. And that's first and foremost because we serve a holy God, because we want to be a pure temple for Him to dwell in. And that's the number one reason why. And we shouldn't get into it to have to find out the consequences of the sin. We've got enough examples throughout Old Testament and New Testament history to discover that it's wrong in the sight of God. And that should be enough for people to flee fornication. But because people will not listen, they have to face the consequences. Now, how do we flee or shun sexual immorality? In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 through 9, it's not good enough just to know that we should. We need to know how to. Here, Paul does not stop. It's a new chapter, but Paul does not really stop. He's been talking about sexual immorality in the church in chapter 5 and also in chapter 6 letting us know that we are the temple of the living God and all sexual, sexual immorality is to be shunned in the life of any believer because his body being the temple of the living God is holy. And it goes on and he says, Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid... To avoid... Here's how. How do we shun sexual immorality? How do we avoid sexual immorality? To avoid means to prevent the occurrence or effectiveness of. To refrain. To prevent the occurrence or the effectiveness of. To avoid. To prevent the occurrence or the effectiveness of. Well, if AIDS can be contacted, if it is a disease, that means that's... that's related to sexual immorality, then evidently that is the effectiveness or the occurrence of. That is the result of people being involved or engaged in sexual immorality. How do I prevent, how do I avoid the effectiveness of sexual immorality? How do I prevent that? How do I avoid that? How do I shun that? How do I see to it that I don't have the result of that or the effectiveness of that in my life? Well, it tells you right here, to avoid it, and I want to read that from the Amplified Bible, so... I know you got it there in the King James. It's a little bit different, a little bit more informative here in, in some cases. Now, as to the matters of which you wrote to me, it is well, and by that I mean advantageous, it's expedient, it's profitable, it is wholesome for a man not to touch a woman to cohabit with her, but to remain unmarried. But because of the temptation to impurity and to avoid immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. So right now, number one, how do I avoid sexual immorality and the effectiveness of that sin? Number one, how? Through marriage. 
And what Paul is saying right here, or stating right here, that outside of marriage, outside of the realm of the marital relationship, the use of the sex drive is immoral. So to avoid sexual immorality, let every man have his own wife, let every woman have her own husband. But let's not stop there. Now, take heed, everyone, especially you who are married. Take heed. The God-given sex drive that has been placed within the male and the female in the beginning was controlled and therefore healthy. But through lust and the fall and the fact that we've become subject to the five physical senses and the forces of darkness, those drives, unless they... Are, they continue to be controlled, it's become unhealthy. But it's so strong with inside the male and the female because of what God designed from the very beginning that unless these desires are gratified, people will go to, to any means or at any length to see to it that they are gratified. So God realizes this. He knows what has happened. And so he begins to teach along these lines and he says, Now look, I realize what happened in the fall. I realize that that sex drive is still within you. I realize it still needs to be gratified in your life because I put it in there and I made it holy and wholesome and right and healthy. But I also realize that now because of the fall that there's perversion. And I realize also that it's hard for people, you know, extremely difficult for people to control that drive that is within them. So if you cannot remain single, if you are unable to control that sex drive that I place within you to avoid it, to shun it, to, to flee from it, to refrain from its effect from it and, and, and to prevent yourself from being affected by it and what it could cause in your life, he says, let every person have his own mate. And then in the next verse, notice what he says. The husband, in verse 3, should give to his wife her conjugal rights, goodwill, kindness, and what is due her as a wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have exclusive authority and control over her own body, but the husband has the rights. Likewise, also the husband does not have exclusive authority and control over his body, but the wife has her rights. Do not refuse and deprive and defraud each other of your due marital rights, except perhaps by mutual consent for a time that you may devote yourself unhindered to prayer, but afterwards resume your marital relations, lest Satan tempt you to sin through your lack of restraint of sexual desire. People of God, listen, it's, it's, it's a matter of survival. It's a matter of, of people being able to flee sexual immorality. In a marital relationship, the sexual relationship should be maintained as a healthy relationship. And we have to take God's Word to heart and realize that if we are violators of that law, you can be the very cause of, of a divorce in your, in, your, in your life. You could be the cause of your husband committing adultery. You could be the cause of your wife committing adultery. You can be the cause of many spiritual things happening in a person's life, bringing spiritual decay to come to that life if you do not fulfill what the Word of God says about this relationship. And it's so important that adults realize this, recognize this, and understand just how serious it is and how severe it, it can be if we violate these laws of God. Marriage is a way to avoid the results of sexual immorality. And when people deny one another in that relationship, they are opening up the door to Satan to come in. And yes, that man will go out and do things that are wrong. Not that he's right to do that, but he is tempted in such a way. I said it before that if, if you be tempted in prayer, prayer and fasting along these lines, what about if a, if a person is just defrauding the other person? And you don't want to do it. You know, there are many, and I'll say this again, there are many, in husband and wife, just all the same. Whoever's the guilty party, the other one's the innocent party, whatever. There are many. They may have not committed adultery in the act, from the natural. But you know what? Many, because they have denied their mate that which is due them, have caused their mates to commit adultery in their minds and in their hearts. And I'm just going to speak it out like it is. There are many men I realize who would not want to have these thoughts come against their mind. But you know what? Because Satan knows about the sex drive that's inside of a man. And he knows that if I could put these thoughts inside that person's mind, I'll get his spirit and I'll cause decay to come in. And so he makes a, 
he makes every attempt he possibly can to come against the mind of that man, to come against the mind of that woman, especially if he knows they're being defrauded in their relationship. Never forget it. Never forget it. And so although they don't want to hurt their wife, they don't want to hurt their husband, they go on and on and on and on and don't say anything about this relationship. But, but deep within, they know that they're not satisfied, that their sexual desires are not being gratified by their mate. And many of them just don't know what to do about it. And beloved, the Bible says if, if we're offenders, we're guilty before God. And we can cause spiritual decay and ruination to come to a person's being. Okay? Number one is marriage. Number two, Genesis chapter 39, please. If you go on reading that there in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, you'll see that the sex drive is strong within a man. And if it's not gratified, it's, it's, the Bible says that they could burn with torture. Did everybody hear that? You could read it for yourself. Genesis 39. You could read it for yourself. But if you go on reading that in, Gen- in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, you'll find out that, that Paul said the sex drive that God placed within a human being is a strong desire that he or she has. And unless it's gratified, it can cause that person to actually burn with torture. And that's why Paul said it's better for you to marry. If you can't stay single like I am because of your inability to control your sex drive, he says it's better for you widows to remarry. Didn't he say that? It's better for you to, to remarry than to burn with lust and be tempted in this area of your life because it can bring decay in spirit, soul, and body. Now look at 39 chapter of Genesis and we'll begin at verse 7. And the second way to avoid or to flee from sexual immorality is precisely that, to flee. Everybody say, flee. flee. Say, to run away from. Run. Everybody say, vanish. vanish. Flee. Now, you young people, I want you to listen. Because we're going to put some things together that's going to enable you to flee fornication. We're going to show you some equipment that you need to have. Flee means to run away from or to vanish. He said flee fornication or shun fornication. If you're a single person out there, obviously you're not married. Two and two. So, you can't get out there and live by the world's standards and say, well, my sexual desires have got to be gratified. God placed them within me and there's strong desires within me. And so I'm just going to go out there and do my thing. You can't live like that. Very long. You see, the number one thing you're going to have to face, people, you're going to have to get married. I saw those looks. You're going to have to get married. You say, but that's not the choice I want to take. It's it's too much responsibility. I don't want to get married. I didn't really intend on doing that until I was well settled in my ways. Well, then listen. Listen. You're a single person out there. You've got the same sex drive within you. It's not your gift that, that, that God has caused you, you know, to a place of ministry or to a place where you can not have to get married. You're not a eunuch. Listen. You have to exercise self-control in this area of your life until you decide to get married. There's no other way out. I said, according to the laws of God, according to the Word of God, any other way of gratifying that sexual desire that God placed within you that is wholesome and is holy is sexual immorality. And as a single person, you are responsible before a holy, living God to refrain and to to shun, to flee, any type of sexual immorality. And you have to do it until you get married. So you better listen carefully to this classic example of a person who knew how to flee sexual immorality. In verse 7, we have a man here by the name of Joseph, a young person. It came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and she said, lie with me. Now you've got to listen carefully because you see, 
the devil will use any kind of a situation. He'll put you in a situation that may be similar to Joseph's situation and you may not know what to do if you're in that situation. But if you listen carefully, you'll find out you need to do exactly what Joseph did to avoid fornication. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wanteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is nothing greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And it came to pass, as she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there within. And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled. Now listen, and got him out. <laughs> now listen, young people. We have a classic illustration here. I've got some ways to get you out. And they're all right here. You have no excuse out there after this message is done. Here's a way to get you out. Here's a way to get you to flee immorality, sexual immorality, flee fornication, if you'll follow exactly what he did. Now, let's, let's look at this classic example in verse 7 once again. Here we see the temptation. It came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and said, Lie with me. Once again, the temptation is going to come. It doesn't matter who you are. And we're just not going to use Potiphar's wife here and just say that all women are like her because we know that that's not true. But we also do realize that God placed this desire within a man and a woman for purposes, for pleasure, and for procreation, and for picture. And we realize that pleasure is a part of it. And yes, it's nice to be noticed by someone of the opposite sex, isn't it? It's nice for people, especially when you're a young person. You want to, you know, you want to enjoy that part of your life. You want people to think highly of you. And you want to have relationships with, with people. You want to have a time of dating. And, and that's all a part of life. And that's all fine and well. But you see, sooner or later, you as a young person, you're going to be confronted just like Joseph was confronted. Whether you're the male, whether you're the female, it really doesn't matter. It applies to both. The temptation is always going to be there. So you've got to just get that into your mind and realize that, that the temptation will always be there. So you have got to prepare yourself for it. Now, the next thing we see in verse 8, we can classify this or call this God's way of protection. See, in the medical science world, in the biological world, people are saying, well, you've got to, you've got to use protection so that you don't get this disease. Well, can I make a statement? Man will, has never and will never devise any means whereby he'll protect himself from the effects of sin. It doesn't matter what he comes up with. There's only one way a human being, a believer especially, is going to protect himself from the effectiveness of sin, and that is to do what Joseph did, refuse to sin. Not to use protection, but to refuse to sin. Let's face it as sin. Not something that you catch. It is sin. And there is no protection from sin. The wages of sin is death. Man cannot devise anything to protect himself from that except the blood of the Lamb that God has provided. That's the only thing. And Joseph, it says, he refused and said, I want you to see this man's frame of mind. I want you to see his spiritual and moral attitudes that he has and that he lives by. He said to his master's wife, Behold, my master wanteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There's none greater in this house than I. I wish Adam and Eve had, more, had as much sense as Joseph did. Because what is he saying? This man's given me everything that I have, that he has. He's provided for me everything that he has. He's given all to me. Just like God gave Adam and Eve everything their heart desired. They have everything, every good thing. But he said, One thing does not belong to you. There's one thing you're not going to touch. And this, Joseph had enough sense to realize, but he didn't give me you because you belong to him. You are his wife. And I respect that. How can I do? Now, look at, the, look at this latter part of verse 9. How then can I do this great wickedness? 
And the time has got to come, people of God, that, that people realize that this is not something to satisfy your, your desires with, to gratify your desires of your, uh, your sex drive. This is great wickedness because it's out of the, you know, disobedience to the laws of God. This is great wickedness, and he says it's a sin against God. You've got to maintain these attitudes and these principles in your own life. This is great wickedness, and this is sinning against a living God, a holy God. Verse 10, it came to pass. See, that wasn't enough. Don't stop right there. You say, I believe that, brother. I know that. Still, you're not over it at her house. You're not yet. Maybe you've been there once or twice. But listen. You're going to be tempted every day. Look at the next verse. It came to pass that she spake to Joseph day by day. You think it's going to stop because you resisted it one time? Day by day. This desire is in a man and a woman day by day. And she was persistent. And of course, you know she was influenced by the devil. And the devil is persistent. That's about the only thing we can credit him for. He is persistent. And he'll be there day by day to try to do what? To get you to be loose in your moral convictions. To get you to, to fall victim to the sexual desire that God has placed within you. And so day by day, day by day. But what did he do when daily temptation came to him or toward him? Look what it says. He hearkened not unto her. He did not listen. Just as Jesus withstood temptation with the word, he said, no, this is great wickedness in the sight of God. He said, no, I will not sin against the living God. No, I resist it today. Deliver me, O God, from temptation this day. See, he had a personal relationship with God. He realized that daily these temptations are coming his way. No, that's what he did. This is exactly how he responded or reacted to the temptation, to the evil desires that were lurking within, even within his own being. You say, yes, they were, weren't they there? Didn't he want them gratified? Absolutely. He was a young person. No different than you out there. But listen, he feared God more than anyone else. And he knew this was great wickedness. The next thing, it came to pass about this time that Joseph went in, into the house to do his business and there was none of the men of the house there within. And there's a very important thing to understand here. I'm sure he made it his business to go in there when the men were in there. But evidently, either he was caught off guard or it's just he thought someone was in there and he just went in there to do some business that he had to take care of and found himself alone with her in the house. Now, remember, he's been shunning immorality. He's been running away from fornication. He's been doing everything within his power and ability to, to, to not to act upon the sexual desires that he had within his being. And she just keeps pouring it on and pouring it on and pouring it on. Opportunity after opportunity was right there for him to give in and just go ahead. But he had fortitude. He had strength within his being. But now he's caught in a situation. He's now alone with her in the house. And let's read on. And she caught him by his garment saying, Lie with me. Now this is it. This is the last phase of this thing. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. Not only did he put up every type of spiritual and emotional strength and resistance, he put on his track shoes. He got on a good pair of Nikes, you know, <laughs> or whatever kind you wear. And he got on his running shoes and he got him out. Listen to some good things that will help get you out. Number one things to get you out. Young people, write them down. Single adults, write them down. Things to get you out. Number one, know that you are in a battleground, not a playground. Number one, you're, you're on a battleground. This is a battlefield that we're living in. This is not a playground. And we're not playing games with God. Some of these things I know seem to be humorous, but beloved, we are not playing games with God. We're in a battleground and the devil is looking out and after and for your spiritual damnation. Young people out there, listen, 
He wants to destroy you in spirit, in soul, and body, and send you to eternal flames of fire with Him. That's His motive. That's His desire. That's all that He wants in His being, to get as many as He can. And so He'll not stop His relentless attacks upon your spirit, soul, and body to weaken you, to get you to a place that you yield unto these desires that God placed within you that are holy. You are on a battlefield. You're in a battle. We're not on a playground, and we're not playing. He wants to destroy you, and the Bible says, fight the good fight of faith. Number two, put your life in the eternal, eternal perspective. Put your life in the eternal perspective. What good is it to experience gratifications of the flesh when a person will spend eternity in damnation? Put your life in the eternal perspective. What good is it? How, what kind of an effect would this have upon me in my life eternally? What temporal pleasures are worth eternal damnations? And you view it that way. And don't think about tomorrow. You think about this today, every day of your life. Today is a day I can overcome temptation. Today is a day I can be victorious and reign as a king in this realm. Thirdly, keep your thoughts pure. Keep them on Him and close the door, just like Joseph did to the devil. Notice where his thoughts were. Listen to what he said. How can I do this thing? Well, look, my, my, my master has given me this. He's given me this. He's given me this. He's given me this. He's given me all these things, everything to enjoy, to satisfy every desire that I have. There's one thing he has not given me, and that is his wife. So evidently she belongs to him. This is great wickedness. See, he kept the right men not to. He, girt, he had his, the loins of his mind were all set. They were prepared for a proper course of action. He was set, stabilized his mind. He realizes this is wrong. Look at all that I have. And seriously, he focused on all the other pleasures that he had. There'll come a time in his life that God will provide for him a wife. But listen, at this particular point, I've got all these other things. I'm not going to ruin my entire life for a one-time affair. I refuse to do it. So, gird up the loins of your mind or keep your thoughts pure by keeping them on him and close the door to the enemy. Next, fourth, avoid situations that will get you into trouble. Avoid all situations that will get you into trouble. Notice, he didn't want to go in there when men weren't there. If he, if he even had the idea that he'd be alone with her, he avoided that situation. Of course, he got caught one time because, remember, there's an enemy on the other side trying to work out situations to come against you with. But it is our responsibility and duty to avoid those situations. The Bible says, avoid all appearances of what? of evil. Avoid them all. If you have any idea or any inclination that something can start up, you've got to avoid that. You've got to walk away from that. And it's up to you as the individual person to do it in your own life for yourself because, beloved, you've got to look out for your well-being. Take heed unto yourselves that you enter not into temptation. And so avoid all that. Next, just like he did, keep on a good pair of running shoes. What else can be said? Because, you see, you get to a point, you get to a place in your life that you may have to do exactly what Joseph did. You're faced with it. It's right there. Many people are. Young people, you're, in the day in which we live, you're exposed to it more than, more than your parents even think. More than any of us even know. But that just means keep your feet shod. You want to know what your good running shoes are? Keep your feet shod. Keep your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So you've got a power within you. If you'll keep your feet shod that way, do you know what? You'll be able to immediately, when you start telling people about Jesus Christ, to sift out those who are going to be holy, righteous people that you could date and go out with and be with and those who are not going to be that way, who's going to be like Potiphar's wife here, and try to lure you into temptation and destroy your life. The Bible talks about fleeing from people who are this way. You keep your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and you'll flee that temptation. 
Keep your mind set on the things that be above and set your affections up there. And so you've got to do these things every day in a, in a day of every day of active obedience to the Word of God in your life. Why? Because you don't have the other method. If you're not married, those desires are within you. So you've got to use this method until you become married. No, we don't go by the ways of the world and say, just use protection. You'll prevent that disease from coming upon you. That's not it. They say, unless we come up with a vaccine. A vaccine's not the answer. Protection is not the answer. Sex education in, in, in the natural is not the answer. The answer is refuse. The answer is obey God. The answer is see it as great wickedness. It's to flee fornication. Run from it as in terror and protect your well-being in spirit, in soul, and in body and be a pure temple of the living God, a holy vessel for His use and for His honor. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.